welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Guys and Dolls. In New York, a gambler is challenged to take a cold female missionary to Havana, but they fall for each other, and the bet has a hidden motive to finance a crap game. What a weird movie. This movie's weird. Not bad. Not Understand. Bad. I didn't say bad, but it's weird. It is weird. The plot is odd. It is odd. I think to get weird with it, we should have a guest. We should have a guest. Who's our guest, Diana? One of my favorite people to be yelled at by. It's here. (laughs) I said one of. (laughs) (laughs) One of the cast members of Christmas Tide Ohio, also a cast member of the Shattered Worlds podcast. One of my favorite people, it's AJ Gennaros. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. Hi, AJ. We're so happy to have you here to talk. As you have referenced it, gentlemen and action figures. It'd be a more interesting title. <laughs> I don't disagree. I mean, it does it it does reduce our ladies a, a bit further. <laughs> uh, I think it expands what they could be. <laughs> I mean, they every female in this movie took a lot of action. <laughs> they were go-getters in in their very narrow field. I still don't know how Sarah punched two people at once, but I'm into it. Good for her. Good for her. I gotta say, I we talk about a lot of movies where we go, wow, there's a lot, there's a lot of amazing stuff going on here, and yet the script is just so bad right? Mm-hmm. It's like our number one complaint. In this movie, it's a weird twist because the script is fucking amazing. The script is so good, Beautiful. so funny, so perfectly crafted. Mm-hmm. And the problem with this movie, rarely do we have this, is that it's really miscast and yet somehow still manages to pull itself together to be a pretty entertaining movie. I won't say that the script is perfect because I don't love the story because it's a lot of a lot about manipulating ladies yeah Yeah. I don't I don't love that I wish it was far more of the the con game of it yes than it was about like manipulating a female's emotions sure that would make it a lot more fun and fitting to what the story really is (laughs) sure that issue aside, everything serves those comedic notes. The songs do, the action, it all works. It's fun and it's good. I just don't, I just don't love the idea of that. It's not, it's, not my fa- it's not my favorite. It's the dialogue for me that gets me. It's the way Nathan Detroit talks and all of his buddies. <laughs> It's very, it's very good. And I know that's like a feature of, of how this stuff works, but it's just like, this is so fun. <laughs> just these are true dopes who do nothing but bet horses all day, but they've decided they're real smart and want to talk like they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's adorable. So AJ, what is your relationship with this show? Dear God. um, So... <laughs> I have a associate's degree in musical theater. So Luck Be a Lady Tonight has been an audition song of mine. 
for an American musical theater history class, we had to watch a clip of uh, a person could develop a cold. <laughs> Many a tap class, there was a track from this plate or whatever. I'm too connected to this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing I haven't done is actually perform in it. Okay. Which we should change. You could play any of these gangsters. <laughs> It'll be so fun. Who would you want to play? Oh, God, make me be nicely. Yes. Yes. Nicely, nicely. <laughs> the only thing I want to do is fuck things up for these stupid gangsters. <laughs> That's fun. I think, I mean, it's it's Sarah Brown or Adelaide. And I think I, I don't know because they both get some really awesome moments. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real honest with you here. You're Sarah. You're not Miss Adelaide. That's the one I go towards because I like the switch. I like the switch she makes, and I think that would be more fun for for a Diana. <laughs> I want you to be the person who goes looking for the diamond earrings. <laughs> Fair. I could do that. I'm Uncle Arvide. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. I'm so pissed at Uncle Arvide. <laughs> You just want to sing the horse song. That's not Uncle Arvide. I know. That's just what you want to do. Always. Fugue for Ten Horns is fucking amazing. (laughs) David sings it all the time. I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere. And here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do. If he says the horse can do, can do. Can do. I pick him Valentine, cause on the morning line, the guy's got him bigger than five to nine. But naked FSF, he wins it by a half. But can't do this here in the telegraph. For Paul Rivera, bite, I hear his foot's all right. It's a wonderful song. Can I just say, I cannot for the life of me remember the actual lyrics. The only thing I can remember is the My Brother, My Brother, Me parody. <laughs> Fair. It's true. Fair. All right. So this movie from 1955 was made on a budget of 5.5 million dollars. Made about 20 million dollars, which oh, in 1955 right? is really good. That translates in today's money to about 56 million dollars in the budget to 200 million dollars. That's wonderful. That's a great return on investment. It did fabulous. And I bet you a good chunk of that money went to the two lead actors. Yeah, I'm guessing that probably had something to do with it a little bit. But you know what? They made their money back by a lot. So nobody should be complaining. No. Let's get into our writing. What do we? I, I said how I felt about the story. And y'all have been favorable about the script. Any anything else before we pick these people apart? I mean, I, I do agree. The, the story is a lot of manipulation. What what I like about the writing is that it's like kitschy. Like mm-hmm. it very much goes tip for tap between the dialogue. Like it's very quick witted. Mm-hmm. In the scenes where they are, I don't want to say equals, but like Sarah's really defending herself. Mm-hmm. She she has some good lines in there. Like she really gives in the business, and the writing really helped with that. Yes, we have 
quite a few people to thank for this. First, we have Damon Runyon, who is responsible for the story. Um, It's his story that that was published that was then turned into the subsequent play and whatnot. Then we have Joe Swirling, who wrote the play. They also wrote Gone with the Wind, Pride of the Yankees, and It's a Wonderful Life. Then we have Abe Burroughs also on the play, which co-wrote the musical Silk Stockings, Can Can, and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Joseph L. Mankiewicz of the same Herman Mankiewicz family wrote the screenplay before this. They wrote in the studio system for years, and then they did uh, The Pirate, No Way Out, All About Eve and Julius Caesar. And then after this, The Quiet American, Cleopatra and The Honeypot. <laughs> I love that everybody involved with Cleopatra was like had no career for decades. <laughs> but like all about Eve and Julius Caesar, yeah, that's not some shit to sniff at. No. And then Ben Hecht was unaccredited as a Hollywood legend and script doctor. They did the front page and the 1932 Scarface, as well as the 1937 A Star is Born, which we talked about on our last episode. Stagecoach, Weathering Heights, Gone with the Wind, The Shop Around the Corner, Gilda, Notorious, Rope, Monkey Business, Ulysses, and then after this, The Man with the Golden Arm, A Farewell to Arms, Ten Commandments, Mutiny on the Bounty, Cleopatra, and Casino Royale, the 67 version. So we have a ton of people touching this script, but these are well-seasoned people who know what they're doing. People who know how to write a story, know how to write a musical, know how to write a screenplay. It's the right mix. I mean, the musical itself is already so solid Mm -hmm. because of, you know, just the just the little I've picked up on of like this is this dialogue is so specific to Damon Runyon as a character. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost the Jeeves and Wooster of pulp crime. (laughs) It's what that guy wrote. Mm -hmm. It's all comedy of error shit, but it's with gangsters. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the whole thing is about the social class of gangsters and having them try to talk like they're big men while they're clearly lowlifes. And that's where the fun comes in with it. And so when they, when they create the musical, all they do is just add into that. They create, like, I love the fact that the songs are in so many ways, lofty kind of choral type affairs, especially when we get things like the greatest crap game in New York, Mm -hmm. where you're just like, this is this is a choral performance they're doing, but it's these total low lives, mm-hmm. these nothings that are singing like they're the biggest men in the world, and that's what's so fun about it. It's almost akin to what the Cohen brothers do when they start off with something like Raising Arizona, where they take those characters and have them talk in this really weird, elevated way to force them in this into this comedic role that just boggles you from the second you hear them talk to each other. Well, uh, some of that's specific to Runyon. There are very few contractions used in this script and in the songs. Can't or wouldn't, it's would not or are not. It makes it sound very formal. And he did it on purpose to make it sound like these people are trying to sound more educated than they are. (laughs) That makes sense. It works. Uh, the writing is top notch. I mean, mm-hmm. even if I have quibbles about some story points, like it works. You know what it is? It's Top Cat. It's fucking Top Cat. Did nobody watch Top Cat? No. Hi, TC. 
It's a cartoon. It's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon about these alley cats that are all fancy and dressed up, and Top Cat's the best one of them. No. Nobody watched Boomerang. What it is, it's Pal Joey. They're all anti-heroes. You don't want to root for them. They're all assholes, but you're gonna because they're the main characters. Except in this one, they're also all really lovable. Except maybe for Sky. But all the rest of them, at, like, for, for my end, it's that it's not that they're all like anti-heroes mm -hmm. it's that they're all doofuses <laughs> they're all just dumb <laughs> at no point in any of this do i feel like i i am rooting for uh nathan whatever the hell his last name is i can't remember right now no but i am rooting for nicely nicely johnson all day long nicely nicely johnson is the only one i'm rooting for <laughs> I'm rooting for Adelaide. She just wants to hook her a man. I'm not even rooting for Adelaide. She wants this guy to like give up his whole life, but she gets to keep going on stage and doing whatever her sin is, like just dancing for these old horny men. Okay, we have to talk about that. <laughs> so when when that started, I'm just like shocked. So I'm like, what the fuck? And then I remembered... This is supposed to be a burlesque show. It is intended for adults. And then I'm like, oh, this is fucking genius. Yeah. The choreography is amazing. The costumes are phenomenal. Like, I want one of those cattails. I know. I know. I want one of the fucking costumes. It's hot as hell. I'm here for it. But I was shocked there for a moment. Because I'm like, context is important here. I mean, I won't lie. I was introduced to this with the 1992 Broadway cast. Because I, too, auditioned with Luck Be a Lady. Because it's in every baritone's register. Um, <laughs> but I, I got introduced through the 92 Broadway cast, which is not woefully miscast. Mm -hmm. Because you have really pretty Peter Gallagher playing Sky. And you have the immensely wonderful and amazing Nathan Lane playing Nathan Detroit, <sighs> which Send works me. so much better. I think all of the issues, the sort of weirdness is because the chemistry is off between the main characters. And I, and I think all those weird feelings don't really come in through the writing. It comes because you are in, in a lot of ways. It's like, yeah, these people are you know, criminals, but you're supposed to love them. You're still supposed to root for them. And if you're not, that's a casting issue <laughs> and a chemistry issue. Yeah, yeah. I think you're spot on on that with the chemistry. That, but that's it's not just the two guys. It's there's no chemistry between Sky and Sarah. There's nope. really no chemistry between Nathan and Adelaide. It's just not there. We can we can save it for cast really diving into it. But part of it is the ladies are giving everything and the men feel mm -hmm. like they do not want to be there. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's move on to our director, who is also one of our writers. It's Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Like I said before, yes, he is related to Herman Mankiewicz. He is his brother. Hey! Uh, ha, ha. Uh, before this, he directed The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, No Way Out, All About Eve, and Julius Caesar. After this, he directed The Quiet Americans, Suddenly Last Summer, Cleopatra, The Honeypot, There Was a Crooked Man, and the 1972 Sleuth. 
what do we think about Mr. Mankiewicz's direction? It was a bold movie. I was not prepared for how colorful, how bold, how brash this movie was going to be. Like, they told this man Technicolor and he took it to heart. Well, okay, there's something about that. He objected. Samuel Goldwyn said, you have to shoot it in CinemaScope. Uh-huh. And he did not want to do that because he said it was dollar bill proportions because he's like, then you have to fill the entire screen. Everything spreads out. Then you have twice as many gangsters, twice as many twirls, twice as many intricacies. He was not happy, but the thing looks amazing. You know, I saw on the poster too, it was like Eastman color. And I was like, ah, yes, Eastman color. Mm-hmm. All those 50s melodramas and like all mm-hmm. the super, like whenever you see a movie that was processed and it's like, where is this color palette coming from? And why is it so rich? And every time it's an Eastman color film mm-hmm. and you're like, oh God. And so I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, it is a little weird because there's so much space he has to fill. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, he threw all of it into there. Like, there are some CinemaScope movies. We talked about this with an American in Paris. We're like, half the time, we're like, we're bored. What are you doing? The sets look amazing and nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. This had all of that energy. That opening scene alone sold me. Because what he did was he took the stage musical which has to have all that business. And he put the business on screen. Mm-hmm. Occasionally there was too much business. Like when the ladies on the street are exiting to go, you can see them starting their quick change. It was like, that should not happen on a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a way to pan away. <laughs> I'll allow it because we are trying to go by theater rules and create a theatrical experience on film. And it is magical, but I noticed it, so I'm bothered. Yes. <laughs> and it it looked so good. And the way the camera moved, it felt like it was a one shot, and it really wasn't. But that's how it felt and moved. And so many movies nowadays try to do that, and they can't do it. I got to say, like, it really did. It kind of felt like live theater with that wide scope. Because mm-hmm. when you're in a live theater, like, you're getting absolutely every angle all of the time yeah so when you're forced to have that kind of a wide spread you're catching things that you wouldn't normally catch if it was like a cinematic shot like if it was focused in the way you'd want it to be with a movie which is i i deeply appreciate that you do have to be careful with how much of that you do on screen because it can it can really go against the movie but yeah he does it perfectly here. He captures that same energy while still allowing for movie magic, which I think is that's that's the big thing. You have a camera. You've got to be mm-hmm. aware that you have a camera and you're able to do things with that that you're not mm-hmm. able to do live. So what are you going to do with it? I mean, it's definitely a risk for sure. Like anything could pretty easily distract. I am the first person to go to a theater, uh, look at the stage actors and be like, okay, which extra is doing something that's like, definitely not what they're supposed to be doing <laughs> or which one of you is actually a crew member in costume yep which one of you is there to carry something off exactly that's why oh and if you're flying people diana is the one who's watching you buckle and unbuckle them from their safety harness that is diana's i'm watching like and i'm the one who's sitting there going that cue is late mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or like or that person missed taking that off stage like, I am the one watching that. And on shows I've never seen before, I can see it. 
Once a stage manager, always a stage manager. It's a problem. Thank you, five. And you can do all the all the dance stuff in the crap game on stage as you want, and it will look pretty incredible. Yeah. But you're going to have people sitting at different angles. Sure. Here, you can put that camera where you want it and get the exact angle you want. And so Mankiewicz, I think Mankiewicz was like, I want the energy of the live show. And some of how I do that is going to be use CinemaScope, but I'm still going to throw in all the stuff I know about making movies. That's what's so good about what he's doing here. Mankiewicz decided to strive for realism only in the characterizations, but not in the settings. There was no location shooting, no rear projections, only actors on highly stylized sound stages to comply with the feel of the play, which was subtitled A Musical Fable of Broadway. Nice. Like he understood the fucking assignment. He did it. He, he did got it. it right there. That's my favorite thing of when I, when we watch a 50s movie or any movie from, you know, this earlier period is how many directors do the fucking homework and pass the fucking test. They're like, I'm not trying to go above and beyond. I got a test we got to meet. I got a way we got to do it. I'm going to do it. And they nail it. <laughs> well, they're not trying to reinvent cinema with something that's already been presented on stage if you're gonna reinvent cinema you better do shit that people haven't seen before yes and you better be doing it with the camera not with a fucking stage musical <laughs> no uh Mankowitz also worked with irene sheriff to use costume as character cue such as sarah's nervous habit of opening the second button of her tightly cinched jackets to signal her desire to be free of her prim existence those costumes are such characters in and of themselves yep and i can't not think about the fact that irene sheriff was involved in both an american in paris mm -hmm. and a star is born from 54 and just how immaculate all those costumes were too. the clothes look great oh so good the woman knows what she's doing especially in this one where it's like only one person's suit fits and that's sky Everybody yeah. else looks weird, and it's perfect. But it should. Like, yeah, no, no, purpose. that's what I mean. It's it's absolutely perfect for the character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the mark of a good costume designer is if you can dress someone up in an outfit, and immediately you can tell that person's exact archetype. And mm -hmm. I got that with every single person. Sure. Adelaide, she is the high-maintenance drama queen who just wants to bag her man and like she wants to live that normal life but she mm -hmm. like very much wants the finer things in life and she's dressed like that mm -hmm. sarah's more conservative she dresses like that mm -hmm. nathan detroit guy who thinks he's a big shot but could lose it at any second he's got the fancy suit but it won't fucking fit him it's the biggest shoulder pads we've ever seen in our lives it's not even the 80s yet i know <laughs> They came from somewhere, though. If you can make Frank fucking Sinatra look like a schlub, you're a hell of a costume designer. Yeah. Okay. Like, don't get me wrong. Frank is Frank is an acquired taste aesthetically, but the man was impeccably dressed. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. like, to make him look like a no-good Nick dork mm -hmm. is pretty impressive. Like, you can take one look at Nicely and be like, I bet he's the comedic relief. <laughs> <laughs> exactly 
So we're we're very pro Mankiewicz. Did an amazing job. He did. He did. He understood the assignment. I love it. We're we're very we're happy. Well, so let's move on to our cast. Ooh. Where we have some less than favorable opinions. I know. <laughs> we're gonna start with somebody who we have personally canceled and said should die in a fire, even though they were already deceased. And that's when Marlon Brando is Sky Masterson. It's been a while since we've discussed them as an actor. <laughs> so before this, they were in The Men, A Streetcar Named Desire, Viva Zapata, Julius Caesar, The Wild One, On the Waterfront. After this, they were in The Fugitive Kind, One-Eyed Jack, Mutiny on the Bounty, The Ugly American, The Chase, Reflection in a Golden Eye, The Godfather, Superman, Apocalypse Now, The Formula, Superman 2, The Richard Donner Cut, The Freshman, Don Juan DeMarco, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and The Score. So there's some who could have played it better, right? Yeah. I want Before we get there. (laughs) There there are. Loathe to give Marlon Brando credit for anything because of what a horrible trash human he was. He's a trash human, yes. Yes. However, as an actor, of course, we all know, super talented. He's coming off of a performance and on the waterfront that even when you watch it today, you go, okay, I get why this changed acting. Like, I get it. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. It's the first time anybody tried to really pull a true internal performance on film. Like, it's just masterful. He's wrong for this movie, but he's not doing a bad job. Like, he understands the character in the way he understands how to portray characters. The problem is, is that it's a big, giant movie musical, and all he knows how to do is small and intimate acting. Like, that's what Marlon Brando does. Mm -hmm. And it shows. Yeah. And and they wanted him, like, that's part of the problem is, you know, he does the wild ones. He does on the waterfront. And they're like, well, clearly he's a movie star because he's not unattractive. And yet that's never what Marlon Brando was. Mm -hmm. This was a guy who was a straight up Strasbourg real actor actor. Like he today he would be doing Christian Bale roles. That's what Mm -hmm. he would be doing if he were around. That's. Acting wise, who he's the equivalent of, which means he's really just a really, really talented character actor who can manage to pull off lead roles because he's attractive looking enough. But he's so wrong for Sky. Now, here's my issue, because the same one that I have for I'm forgetting his name now, but he was the guy who played Billy Flynn in Chicago, the movie. Richard Gere. Richard Gere. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who asked him to sing? (laughs) Who asked? (laughs) Why? The who same did? person who asked Pierce Brosnan to sing in Mamma Mia. I, I hate it. A list of people who I've heard sing Luck Be a Lady. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra, any baritone auditioning. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I was expecting Frank Sinatra to sing Luck Be a Lady. Marlon Brando ruined it. <laughs> Facts. Luck Be a Lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Lucky if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck let a gentleman see. And and part of the problem is, it seems like, based on his performance, Brando knows it too. 
based on just his whole tenor, and this is this is why his chemistry with Sarah doesn't really work. Like it plays in some of the early scenes, but it never really feels full. Is because he feels like I shouldn't be here. I know the reason I'm here is MGM wants a fucking movie star, and they're gonna sell tickets, and that's exactly why they did it. Marlon Brando's described his singing voice after, even after many hours working with uh, voice coaches as the mating call of a yak. <laughs> I'm glad he understands. He does. All of his songs had to be patched together from numerous takes. And he said that they sewed my words together on one song so tightly that when I mouthed it in front of the camera, I nearly asphyxiated myself because I couldn't breathe while trying to synchronize my lips. But could he have the... I'm kidding. Exactly. <laughs> we hate this man. We hate I mean, this man so much. Like, what, what comes across in the movie, because for me, I was expecting, like, just god-awful horrible, and it winds up being passable. It's not good, but it's passable. It's like, fine, it's Marlon Brando, whatever. I can move on with my life. I don't want him singing Luck Be a Lady, but fuck it. That's what we've decided to do here. And at least it wasn't as bad as it could have been. <laughs> I have now in this moment decided that they cast Frank Sinatra alongside Marlon Brando because they had to balance out the fact that they asked Marlon Brando to sing. They had to get a like an actual one. <laughs> Sinatra loathed the non-singing Marlon Brando for getting the starring role. While he got the lesser part, his nickname for the barely coherent Brando was Mumbles. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Mm -hmm. And see, that's the thing, though, is that for this, I don't put that on Brando. I put that on MGM. I put that on the producers. A thousand percent. Absolutely. The decision was hotly contested, um, largely by Frank Sinatra. He wanted the role himself. Yes. That's part of why he took the song, Luck Be a Lady, and made it part of his stage act. That's <laughs> my fucking song. And <laughs> it is. Anytime you hear someone sing that song, when they do the da-da-da-da-da-da, it's his fucking voice. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck, if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Exactly. Anytime yeah. you hear it in a movie, on a TV show, it's Frank fucking Sinatra's voice. Of course it is. Like, I'm hearing it in the overture, not realizing, Diana, that it's in this fucking show. Because I didn't know. I was like, that's a Frank Sinatra standard. That's all I knew. Because <laughs> he made it his. That's, I think he got his revenge in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm proud of him. Get your money. <laughs> so, yeah, there are some who could have been better. It's like, Frank Sinatra's one. Obviously, he wanted that role. Yeah. He really did. Samuel Goldwyn outbid Paramount for the production rights for the studio. And in his dream cast for this role, he wanted Clark Gable. Oh, too old. Yeah, he would have been too mm. old for this. In 1955, too old. He would have been too old. Not enough makeup in the world. No. Don't get me wrong. Clark Gable's fantastic. But Love Clark Gable. Not in 55. <laughs> yeah. And there was one person who actually 
sought out this role. Other than Frank. Other than Frank. (laughs) But fellow studio MGM refused to loan them to Samuel Goldwyn. They said, I was born to play Sky Masterson like Clark Gable was born to play Rhett Butler. And that person is the one, the only Gene Kelly. Yep. Can you fucking imagine Gene Kelly as Sky (laughs) Masterson in this? I would need a napkin for my seat. We got done watching a buck wild, fun, but totally badly written on the town, right? AJ is speechless in this moment. And that was a ball. That was so much fun. And a terrible script. Imagine these two with this fucking script. Him and Frank. Him and Frank together are great. Oh, my God. Frank would not have been as annoyed. He would have still been annoyed. But he would have been less annoyed if he was singing opposite that guy. Mm -hmm. And they have chemistry. Those two play off each other well. We saw it in On the Town. They were great together. Now, Gene would have terrorized these two women. Let's be clear. He would have expected more dancing from these women. And he would have required more dancing of himself. But his ass would have looked great. It would have been wonderful. In that goddamn suit with the hat. Oh, oh boy. The only tailored person in the building. And he gets (laughs) pinstripes and a fedora. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Ah, So hot. So hot. So hot. <laughs> he was for it. He was. He was. Give it to him. He was. And fucking MGM wouldn't give it to him. And because of that, Gene Kelly refused to work with Samuel Goldwyn ever again. I'm never going to that casino ever again. <laughs> it sucks. Not worth it. Except, okay, we'll say this. They have Ka, and that is the best Cirque show in Vegas. It is. So you have to go for that. Look, all the people who are involved in these decisions are very, very dead. They're so very I mean, dead. So we need we, MGM's owned by like giant corporate conglomerates now. It's it's not the same. And we can't tell them to go fuck off. Like can. It's, it's a lot I less fully easy. Peaked. <laughs> Don't gamble in their casino. <laughs> we're so petty. Are we we're somehow gonna resurrect Samuel Goldwyn. We're going to pull him back through time and put him at the head of MGM. This is for Gene and Judy. David, my crutches are transgenerational. (laughs) I respect this and I fully support these grudges. It's a good grudge. This is what I've been taught from my parents is that we hold grudges forever. So we've got got Stanley Kubrick. We've got the Warner Brothers, literally, after what Mm -hmm. they did to A Star is Born and Judy. And now we're going to add Samuel Goldwyn. Anybody else we need to put on the grudge list for this show? Anybody? I mean, we've said Marlon Brando, right? I love I love us making a show-specific movie grudge list. That's fun. I, who have no editing responsibilities for this show, decide that we don't need to cut that out. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's fair to go in. <laughs> that's, that's really your shtick, Adrian. <laughs> the Marlon Brando sucks. Yes, sucks. terrible. He sucks. Get him out. That's my problem is I don't think he sucks, but I think he's wrong. Yeah, it should be Gene Kelly. Should be Gene Kelly. But my bigger thing is, I think he does a perfectly fine job for who he is as an actor. That's my problem. But he doesn't serve the movie. No, but that's not his fault. So he sucks in this movie. He's in the wrong movie. He's complicit. And the director, 
for as amazing as they are, did not make him better for this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Bad things happen when good people sit by and do nothing. Girl was fine. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Gene Simmons, who plays Sarah Brown. Before this, she was in Great Expectations, Black Narcissus, Hamlet, Androcles and the Lion, The Robe, The Actress. After this, she was in The Big Country, Elmer Gantry, Spartacus, The Grass is Greener, Divorce American Style, some TV stuff, and How to Make an American Quilt. What do we think about Gene Simmons? She punched two people at once. I love her. That's pretty good. I mean, she's pretty cool. Like, she uh, loosened up pretty quickly when she gets some booze in her. <laughs> yeah. uh, the framing of that scene is bad. It's so bad. Yeah. And yet, she's so delightful when it kind of flips on its head. She plays drunk very well. She also plays first time drunk very well. Yes. Which yes. is very hard. It's a trap. Play, if you play drunk, you're dead in the water. We've said it many times. And the real balance with the writing there is that Sky very easily could just fully take advantage. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, he is so charmed by how much she just loves the world <laughs> that he's like, huh, you're actually way more interesting than I thought. <laughs> That's the real touch-and-go balance they're dealing with there. Mm. But, like, I spent the first, I don't know, 15 minutes being like, oh, no, they're just going to play this trope so Uh, hard. She's going to get so taken advantage of. And Mm -hmm. then they don't. And it's wonderful. And she's very good at lulling you into that Mm -hmm. sense that it's going to go that way and then realizing, oh, no, 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 Sarah has so much more depth to her. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite thing is when she gets caught in the trap of like, we're going to bring a bunch of missionaries. And she's like, I, uh, well, he's making a promise. And I kind of believe him, even though he's a total criminal. (laughs) Damn it. All right. (laughs) And gives in to the lie. Mm -hmm. And you realize it's like, she kind of believes in what she's doing, but she's also not unwilling to tell a little lie to see if it can get her ahead. I will say that. A moment when they like finally show her like, okay, yeah, no, she's drunk. She's gone. Mm -hmm. The booze went right to her head. She starts talking and I'm waiting for her to do like like the floaty kind of thing. And she just starts speaking so clearly. And she's talking about all the things happening around her. She's having this like deep inner body experience with it. And I'm just sitting there like, did she smoke a joint before this? This this is (laughs) Dean? Did they get her high instead? <laughs> mm. It's just good act, good character development. Mm-hmm. This is Gene Simmons' favorite film of her own. Makes sense. And her and Mankiewicz got along splendidly. Years later, she said, yes, I was aware that he was in love with me. And I think I mm-hmm. was with him, really, which I've never admitted to anybody. Oh, how sweet. Interesting. That could be a much worse story for 1955, and I appreciate that it was just a mutual, we really think we might like each other, but we're working together, so no. (laughs) Yeah. Perhaps they were involved with other people. I didn't look into any further, but it seems like they both just had some admiration from afar, and it worked out well. So. Also, with that choreography, that would have been my favorite movie, too. Goddamn. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do it, honey. (laughs) (laughs) We do have some who could have been better. As part of Samuel Goldwyn's dream cast, Jane Russell for Sergeant Sarah Brown, as well as one of the original choices was Grace Kelly. I'd entertain it. I understand it. I understand the thought. 
Did Grace was Grace retired by fifty five? I don't. I'm not sure. It was winding down. It was the year after. Okay. She married, uh, she married Prince Rainier Monaco in 56. Right. And the year before she made Rear Window, so. Okay. That makes sense. She's gorgeous. She's a she's a known name. She would sell tickets. I get it. They got the right person, though. She's fabulous. I like Gene Simmons a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Gene Simmons was perfect. I haven't seen any of these other things she's been in, but I, I liked her a lot. Next, we have Frank Sinatra as Nathan Detroit. We've already talked about him in our On the Town episode of this series, so I'm not going to relist his credits. It's Frank Sinatra. What do we think about Frank Sinatra in this film? When he's good, he's good. Like, he has his moments. He's Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. When he really gets into the sort of high tone dialogue, when he's actually like really messing around with the lack of contractions. You know, like we said, we talked about it on the town. And I've talked about it. I'm a big fan of his acting. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen a lot of different roles with him where I'm like, he's a really good actor. He really was. Mm-hmm. But part of the problem is he just a good chunk of the time feels so disappointed to be in this role. Mm-hmm. And especially in scenes with Adelaide, he just does not match the energy she's giving him at all. Yeah. When he's with the guys, it works. He's still kind of playing it cool. But he, he, it feels like he meshes with nicely and Benny mm-hmm. and like, you know, the guys and dolls number works really well because he's got that internal chemistry mm-hmm. and it's enough to pull him through because it's just like, you know, doing the Rat Pack scene or whatever. Do you know what is at stake here? Nathan Detroit's crap game because of a doll. I cannot believe that a number one businessman like you could let himself go and fall in love with his own fiance. All right. So Adelaide is my weakness. Can you not be tolerant that I have got a weakness? Especially since this weakness is a sad condition that guys are in all over the world. Look, what's playing at the Roxy? I'll tell you what's playing at the Roxy. It's a picture about a Minnesota man so in love with a Mississippi girl that he sacrifices everything and moves all the way to Biloxi. That's what's playing at the Roxy. What's in the Daily News? I'll tell you what's in the Daily News. But it really shows when he's performing with Adelaide and you're like, this doesn't work. It just, you, you're not giving nearly enough that, frankly, we know you can do, Frank, because we've watched you do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm fully a simp. He can do no wrong in my eyes. <laughs> I, he, he gave me everything. <laughs> you can just tell he's not happy. It's just, it's, it's showing through just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, some of those scenes drag a little bit when they, didn't need to mm-hmm. and it's because he's not he's not using a hundred percent of his charm Sorry. that we know he has and like i said a lot of that is three movies ago we just watched him turn on all 100 percent of that charm <laughs> so it's like we have that recency of going wait a minute we know you can do better come on frank well <laughs> yep. like he can also save a lot just through the virtue of focusing on like the singing of it like that ending duet between Adelaide and I'm about to call him Frank again. No, Nathan, <laughs> that ending duet, the song on its own without the people there, it could drag on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And like it, it's not an interesting song. Frank saved it by focusing on his vocal talent. Mm-hmm. Adelaide's part is very interesting because it's fast, it's patter, it's quick witted. I'm not sure quick witted is the right term for that, but like that she's very quick. And she's very, like, precise. 
I'm not mad, Frank. I'm just a little disappointed. I feel like he could do better. Give me a li- give me another pass. Well, I do have one who could have been better hmm. from Samuel Goldwyn's Dreamcast, Bob Hope. Yeah, no, Frank. Frank is Sky, and Bob Hope is Nathan. Makes a fuck ton more sense to me. That matchup makes total sense. Yes, yeah. I want it only if Frank Sinatra can be Sky Masters. Sure. If, yeah. if Frank Sinatra is forced to be Nathan, I keep forgetting his last Detroit. Nathan <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> the, <laughs> I get all the names so jumbled up in my sure. head. Uh, then. I'm sorry, Bob Hope's getting stomped out. But. No, no, sure. no, 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 yeah, no. The tone between those two has to be very different. So, yeah, yeah so yeah. I can't choose between them. They either have to both be there, or Bob Hope's got to go. Yeah, Fair. but honestly, like if you're gonna bring in Bob Hope, it's got to be in the comedic role. And like I said, when they did this on Broadway in the '90s, it was Nathan Lane for a reason mm-hmm. because Nathan Detroit is the comedic relief character, yep. mm-hmm. like. Nicely, nicely is really the comedic relief, quote unquote. Yeah. But Nathan Detroit is the schlub. Between the two, he's the one who's supposed to be the jokester. Yep. Which is totally fair. And that's the sidekick. Nathan Lane. I mean, come on. He's fucking the voice of Timon. Like, I'm sorry. I still, in my brain, I see him as mm-hmm. Timon on stage. <laughs> Even though I know he never did the stage musical, I just still see that in my brain. Exactly. <laughs> I can't, I cannot separate the two. All right, next we have Vivian Blaine as Miss Adelaide. She originated the role on Broadway and she mainly performed there. But before this on film, she did Girl Trouble, Something for the Boys, State Fair, and Dollface. And after this, she just did a lot of cameos and one off. She's primarily a stage performer. What do we think of Vivian Blaine? They were right. They were right to do it. She's perfect for it. I mean, the cat scene alone. She she sells it. She sells it so well. It's funny because I kept waiting for Bushel and a Peck, and that's actually something that was added later Mm -hmm. because they do they do this Papa song Mm -hmm. with the cat with the Kitty Cut Club. But like that character is so hyper specific and was totally like built from the ground up for this show that to have brought in any other actor might have damaged that character like just to be perfectly honest because anybody who's ever done this you not only have to be a good singer but on top of that you also have to then be a good singer in that character voice Mm -hmm. that's what makes miss adelaide such a hard role to perform sure But then you also have to play her as not just an idiot lady. No, she's just in love. (laughs) Yeah, she's just, she's been dating this guy for a long time. She wants to seal the deal. Like, she wants the commitment. And he's too busy shooting crap. Shooting craps. His floating ant from Pittsburgh. (laughs) Love it. It's so good. I know very little about like behind the scenes things for movies or for Broadway plays. Mm -hmm. This character must have been written with her in mind because I've heard other people try to sing a person could develop a cold. No one quite has it like she does. It's kind of like anyone trying to sing popular. Yeah. She's got this certain twang and it's that nasal tone in her voice that she's able to do for this. I would love to hear her like natural speaking voice that has made it hers. 
the average unmarried female basically insecure due to some long frustration may react with psychosomatic symptoms difficult to endure affecting the upper respiratory tract in other words just from waiting around for that plain little band of gold a person could develop a cold you could spray her wherever you figure the streptococcus and so anybody who comes after her is trying to imitate her Mm-hmm. her specifically and that's a compliment to her it's the same thing with Kristen chenoweth and everyone's trying to be her version of galinda i did see wicked recently on a touring and i will say it i've seen it i think this is the fourth time i've seen it and this is the first time i've seen a galinda not trying to imitate Kristen chenoweth and that made her the best galinda i've seen yep thank god because i was like oh you're doing something different and it was exciting She's the perfect person for that role. Like, that that's why it makes me think that it was written for her. Yeah, either written for her or she worked really closely with Joe Swirling and Abe Burroughs as they built that musical from the ground up. <laughs> yeah. Like, either way, there's no way. And, and, it, and it's one of those where you go, wow, you couldn't cast anybody else to do this. It's happened... I feel like we've talked about it before. I don't remember a specific example. But there are those cases where somebody so developed a character that if you tried to get anybody else to pull it in, I think we, I think we mentioned it in Hedwig where mm-hmm. we were like, you could not have brought in a celebrity to do this movie version. Not this first time. John Cameron Mitchell had to do it because he was so intricately linked to the character. Yeah. And it's, it's a similar thing here. The character is embodied in so much of what she does as an actress. There's no way to do it through anybody else until she's had her shot at it. <laughs> we do have two who could have been better. Nobody. What? I agree. I agree. I've expressed this already. <laughs> we literally just said nobody. Okay, but you know, maybe maybe Vivian wouldn't have wanted to do it. They do have to they have to consider other people. It's fair. Change fair. my mind. Change my mind, Hollywood. It's okay. So Samuel Goldwyn in his dream cast wanted Betty Grable. <sighs> she was being considered. But a different actress was trying to campaign for the role. Marilyn Monroe. Okay. All oh, right. You have my attention. All right. She wanted to play Adelaide, but Mankiewicz did not want to work with her again after All About Eve. Mm. And he apparently pretended he never got her phone messages. <laughs> oh, Mank. What are you doing, bud? <laughs> I'm sorry. Th- this is this is a industry of professionalism i will fucking fight you over that shit (laughs) like here's the thing vivian blaine if you didn't want to do it you were tired you're like i just i want to leave my performance on stage fine no judgment it's up to you marilyn is not a bad option because that woman can sing Uh that woman Mm -hmm. can fucking perform and she does not just play dumb blondes that woman's not fucking dumb oh no he is the perfect alternative for that yep she was yes Damn absolutely it. Damn it. you did come up with somebody who I possibly who maybe could have, could have been, been as good not better as good could have been an appropriate replacement yeah yeah she's literally the archetype yeah. she, she is the archetype <laughs> 
All right. Next we have Stubby K as Nicely Nicely Johnson. He also originated his role on Broadway, and this is his credited film debut. After this, he was in Little Abner, The Cool McAdoo, Sex and the Single Girl, Cat Baloo, Sweet Charity, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What do we think of Stubby K? I love Stubby. Like, you just reminded me that he was in Who Framed Roger Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. And so many memories just came right back. Oh, my God. He's great. I mean, you you both gravitate so much to that character. And he is so fun. God, he's fun. Yeah. His version of Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat is so fucking good. Yes. It's so extra. I sailed away on that little boat to heaven and by some chance found a bottle in my fist and there I stood nicely passing out the whiskey but the passengers were bound to resist for the people all said beware you're on a heavenly trip people all said beware beware you'll scuttle a ship and the devil will drag you under for the fancy tie round your wicked throat sit down sit down sit down sit down sit down you're rocking the boat The magical thing that he's able to do, it's still a weird phrase to me to say, but he lets the face meat hang in a really cherubic way. (laughs) That's my phrase. The face, let face meat hang. Yeah, Yeah. I know. (laughs) But he does. He does this magical thing where he's stone faced, but playing the comedy, not the drama of the stone face. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And then he gets all the best like way too over grammatically correct lines yeah out of anybody he gets those in fact like he's not like some of the comedic performers where it's not like in on the town where it's all vaudeville and slapstick Mm -hmm. it's very much about his intonation and the way he's saying things yes it's a way like more subtle comedic performance but then he just sits there and runs off like a solid two minutes of lines that are like, what does he say? <laughs> Who talks like that? There's a reason that you remember nicely, nicely over Benny. Like he totally. really steals that role. Benny yeah. is by all intents and purposes, the same role as nicely, nicely, but nicely, nicely steals it 110%. And yeah. the actor is absolutely mm-hmm. like at least 80% the reason for that yeah benny's just a hood like that's the whole point of benny he's there to push some plot along and 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 be a hood but nicely everybody who plays that role just gets to have so much fun all right and now we get into our pawns random people of note we have robert keith as lieutenant brannigan okay every time we heard the name brannigan i just think zath brannigan (laughs) thank you which you know came from this of course it did. Because mm-hmm. Matt Groening is a huge musical fan. Mm-hmm. There's no way it didn't come from this. And I was like, now I know. Robert appears in The Wild One and Cimarron. We have Sheldon Leonard as Harry the Horse. They're an occasional actor, but they created the Andy Griffith show and produced shows like The Dick Van Dyke Show and Gomer Pyle, USMC, and I Spy. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That is a person of note. That is a person of note. Then we have Danny Dayton as Rusty Charlie. They appeared as Nathan Detroit opposite Betty Grable on the national tour and replaced Zero Mostel on A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. 
Okay, now now Betty Grable doing this makes more sense if she sure. was performing it on stage. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, the gold ones probably saw her perform it at some point. Was like, oh, we want her to do it again. Cool. Uh, George E. Stone as Society Max. He was actually close friends with Damon Runyon and played some similar characters throughout his role. And so he was also Toothpick Charlie in Some Like It Hot. Regis Toomey as Arvide Abernathy. He was a lifelong friend of the Reagans and politically active with them. And he appeared in The Big Sleep, Spellbound, and His Girl Friday. Barf. Mm-hmm. Of course, Arvide was a Republican. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, no, I, did, I don't like that character. No. <laughs> we could spend another 20 minutes about how I don't like that fucking character. Of course not. <laughs> well, now you know why. <laughs> yes. We have Joe Gray as spectator at the Hot Box Club. He was a stunt double for Dean Martin and a fight coordinator for Elvis Presley. And basically Ooh. just a friend of the Rat Pack. And then we have John Indrazano as Liverlips Louie. He's a former boxer and he was a friend of Frank Sinatra. We have Pat Sheehan as a Goldwyn girl. She was one of the original Playboy Playmates. She was Miss October 1958. For her. Yeah. And then we have Norman Stevens as a customer at Mindy's. They started the Screen Extras Guild in 1943 and became its president through the 70s, which was a pretty difficult time for movie extras. Collect your bag. That's That's awesome. I didn't even know there was a Screen Extras Guild. I was like, you know what? Good for you, Norman Stevens. Pretty freaking cool. So now we're going to get to our awards. This film was nominated for four Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Cinematography, Color, Best Art Set Decoration, Color, Best Costume Design, Color, and Best Score, Musical. It won zero. Criminal. (sighs) It lost Best Score Musical to Oklahoma. To Oklahoma? What? Yeah, rude. I blame Marlon Brando. Fair. Let's blame everything on Marlon Brando. We're going to blame some other shit on Marlon Brando here on the trivia. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, good. Uh Uh-huh. Tensions between our two male leads started right off. I'm not shocked. Immediately. On site. Brando approached Sinatra asking for help with the musical numbers and suggesting they get together often and work on them, to which Sinatra told him he did not go in for that method crap and refused. (sighs) Yes, King. Okay. Look, though, <laughs> go off my leash. I mean, <laughs> there was a nicer way to be like, I'm not interested. No, thank you. My problem. No, again, we can blame Brando for a lot. But Brando also knows, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm going to try. Can you offer me Here's something? Here's the thing. If you know you're not supposed to be there, you don't take the job. But Frank's so petty that he's not even going to bother to give him the time of day. But I'm also so petty. <laughs> I just, I don't know. <laughs> so the cast and crew were quickly divided between Brando's supporter and Frank Sinatra and his entourage. Mankiewicz and Gene Simmons were on Brando's side. And basically, it boiled down to them only speaking to each other through intermediaries. Yes, please. Um, yeah. This is Samuel Goldwyn's fucking fault. <laughs> Partly. Many years later, Brando said of Sinatra, Frank's the kind of guy who, when he gets to heaven, he's going to give God a hard time for making him bald. Exactly. (laughs) That's a good burn. He's not wrong. (laughs) 
After repeated takes of the scene where Sky and Nathan first meet, they had to quit for the day when Sinatra had eaten too much cheesecake. He said he could not take one more bite. Brando, knowing how much Sinatra hated cheesecake, purposely flubbed each take so that Sinatra would have to eat piece after piece of cheesecake. And the next day they came back and shot the scene perfectly on the first take. That's abuse. I'm exhuming his grave. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. Where is the Ryan Murphy miniseries about Brando and Sinatra feuding? God damn it. I bet you, I bet you he's trying to get the rights because it's a perfect, it's a perfect one for a Ryan Murphy feud. Just so petty. It, I, here's it the problem. It is so petty. I love it. And it's musically inclined, which is perfect for Ryan Murphy. The, the problem is it's not actually dramatic enough. Like it's not whatever happened to baby Jane level. Okay. Pure psychological torture bad. Okay. But it, but. It doesn't have to be factual. <laughs> <laughs> well, Based it's Ryan inspired Murphy. Inspired by true events. Samuel Goldwyn was so pleased with Marlon Brando's behavior on screen and off screen for this film that he rewarded Arf. him with a brand new white Thunderbird, <laughs> which Brando immediately began racing around the street. And in return, Brando went against his usual practice and agreed to do substantial publicity for the picture. He didn't usually do that. However, this was short-lived. And after a couple of appearances, he eventually refused to do anything additional and said, I've done enough for that white Thunderbird. (laughs) I was really ready to regret saying barf made fact, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) They're both such fucking children. (laughs) They are. Both of them are so petty. (laughs) But Frank's right. (laughs) No, I agree. Frank Sinatra refused to perform his one ballad, Adelaide, in character as the comic Bronx-accented Nathan Detroit, turning on all his romantic crooner charm instead. And composer Frank Lozer was less than pleased with the star's turn in the comic Sue Me number. Frank said, we'll do it my way or you can fuck off. (laughs) When Marlon Brando pointed out to director Mankiewicz that he should tell Sinatra how to sing his songs, apparently he said something like, we can't have two romantic leads. Mankiewicz refused and Brando swore to never work with him again. Good. (laughs) So like you have Sinatra, who is a legit singer, being like, I'm going to fucking do this the way I want to fucking do this because I know what the fuck I'm doing. And then you have Brando telling the director, that guy sings better than me. Don't let him do that because then he'll be better than me. And the director being like, no, fuck you. They're both fucking children. This is hilarious. And yes, it should be a Ryan Murphy feud season because it would be fucking hilarious. And meanwhile, Vivian Blaine over there is like, can we get a fucking move on it? God damn it. You know what? There's only one goddamn hero in this movie, and it's her. It's, it's fucking Blaine. her. Agree. That's the one criticism of Frank Sinatra I'm going to accept today. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations, David. You found it. Yes. Jesus. Both of you. Grow the <laughs> fuck up. Never. Take a time out and a chill pill and make a goddamn movie. The both of you. Ugh. Samuel Goldwyn put in both Gene Simmons and Marlon Brando's contracts that he reserved the right to dub their singing. After long thought, he decided to have them both do their own singing because 
I wanted everything about this picture to be honest. And I had such great faith in those two people that they're just going to have to sing. And both non-singing stars voices are used in the film. I mean, fair. He made a choice and he stuck to his guns. On. I appreciate that. And the result is not awful. It's not. They can sing better than like some of the bullshit that we've heard in other films. So, yeah. Okay. You know, like they both did a decent job. Like they didn't embarrass themselves when it came to the singing. To me, it's really this thing of like everybody's giving a solid performance mm. and actually a pretty good performance for the type of actor they are. It's just so weirdly cast. Mm-hmm. So the whole time I'm going, I really enjoy this movie, but man, it's fucking weird. There's, none of this makes any goddamn sense. Yeah. And then I went, but somehow it's working. That's yeah. the weirdest part. <laughs> it's some wild choices, but I'm here for it. Yeah. It, I'm okay with it. it. I'm like, it's not perfect. But the whole time I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> and is it even supposed to be perfect? <laughs> it just comes down to you have to make a choice and commit. Yes. No, agreed. And too many movies, especially, you know, in the later years of musical of the of the original musical runs and now like some of the newer ones, they try to have it both ways at the same time. And they just can't. And that's why they're so bad, because they're like, well, we're going to try and maybe kind of make this work. And and then it's like, no, like, fucking no. (laughs) Making Broadway shows into movies is a great way to make theater accessible. Yes. You need to keep it true to the theater experience. I don't know that that's true. You, what it really comes down to is you either need to make it true to the theater experience and decide you're going to do that, or you need to do the Les Mis thing of, no, we're going to make it an ultra-realistic film, and the theatrical part of it is that we're going to try to have our performers do it live. But we're going to use all of the technical trappings of a film set. Mm-hmm. It's one of those two. Yeah, you need to make a choice on like which thing you're going to have be what. Sure. I I film will never capture life a live theater, theater no. performance. Exactly. And I, I I don't I don't want them to try. I want them to present to me the story in the way that best serves that story for film in a way that makes me want to go see the stage musical as well in a way that allows me this is the thing I can enjoy at home on a regular basis because it's accessible to me. And then as I am able to, I'm going to want to go see the other thing live and in person. All right. We, we just, we're getting into so much filmness. So great. I love it. <laughs> Trivia. <laughs> Trivia. This is the last film appearance with the final group of the Goldwyn girls. Sky Masterson's real name is Obadiah. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. All right. Hey, real quick. Right after the Goldwyn Sisters thing. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Meow. Now I need a show about that. The Goldwyn girls. And they're all living in a retirement home. It's like the Rockettes. They're all former showgirls. All former showgirls. Hell yes. Yes. That would be amazing. And then like current showgirls is part of their whole thing. They have to go visit them. Thank you. Yes. Okay. The three-horse parlay that Sky refers to is a bet picking three winners of three separate races. He picks Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are the three pious Jewish youth thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Showing his knowledge of the Bible. (laughs) Yes. 
The character of Sky Masterson is rumored to be based on New York sports writer and former frontier marshal William Barclay Bat Masterson. This is corroborated by the fact that Damon Runyon worked with Bat Masterson on the staff of the same newspaper, the New York Morning Telegraph. And another rumor, according to David Blaine's book, The Mysterious Stranger, Sky Masterson is one of the few men to successfully con gangster Al Capone. Interesting. Okay. Okay. All right. In the first scene on screen, Sinatra steps on a scale revealing a weight of only 130. And when he takes off his coat, the weight drops to 125. This is a joke about Sinatra's stature and slender frame, which is in contrast to his big guy image, which was, in fact, one of the best known features during the early years of his success. It's also because each shoulder pad was 2.5 pounds each. Yep. Absolutely. Just a little scrawny guy. It's so weird to think about. Yep. Director Mankiewicz had the highest of praise for Michael Kidd's choreography. Michael Kidd choreographed the original Broadway production and then also choreographed the film. He was skeptical at first when Kidd wanted to stage the crap game as a big ballet, but the choreographer's unique concept and execution of the number impressed everyone when it was finally screened. That craps game is amazing. Yeah. It is so fun to watch. And it's one of those things that nowadays, uh, if they filmed that, there would actually be dice or they would Mm -hmm. fake the dice with CGI, which would be fine. But I love watching that and going, you just pick that up and you put it on stage and it translates perfectly because I completely understand what's happening. And that's fine. And I loved it. If gambling looked like that, I'd frequent casinos a lot more. (laughs) I know. Especially with all the dancing. Also, that whole intro sequence mm-hmm. and just the fucking choreography pulling all of God, it together yes. mm-hmm. in that prologue is mind-bogglingly good. That was wild. The fact that it's like, yes, we're going to do choreography. And now we're going to throw some fucking sleight of hand in because why the fuck not? And now I have a few things that have to do with like the difference between the songs, between the stage and the movie. The deletion of Marry the Man Today was removed because it was considered kind of disparaging. But by doing that, it disallowed any shared scenes between Gene Simmons and Vivian Blaine. So they are never on screen together, which is such a wasted opportunity. Yeah. 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 Several songs from the Broadway show were cut of the film, but were featured as background music. Among them are A Bushel and a Peck. My Day of Time, I've Never Been in Love Before, and More I Cannot Wish You. And the songs A Woman in Love, Pet Me Papa, and Adelaide were written for the screen version and are not in the original Broadway show. On Broadway, Nathan Detroit does not sing in the title song. That was added for the film to increase Frank Sinatra's singing part. Yeah. Well-deserved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you're going to hire Frank Sinatra, you have him fucking sing. Yes. If you hire Frank Sinatra to play Nathan Detroit, Nathan Detroit, I remembered it on my own this time. If you hire Frank Sinatra to play Nathan Detroit, you have him sing Adelaide's songs. (laughs) Fair. If he requests it, you give it to him. You give him what Frank Sinatra wants. Otherwise, he sends men to break your kneecaps. Frankie gets what Frankie wants. That's how that works. Pet Papa. (laughs) Yeah. Forget me, Pet Papa. (laughs) And that leads us to our ratings. In every movie, we come up with a very specific 
rating system. And what is it going to be for this film? It's going to be dice. Come on. Dice. I was thinking the pocket watch. <laughs> mm, no, it's the dice. It's the dice. dice. Yeah, you're right. Shiny math rocks. Shiny math rocks. <sighs> I'm going to go three and a half. Three and a half math rocks. It's a super enjoyable movie. I would watch it again. Mm-hmm. It's not that the the acting is bad. It's that it's so badly cast mm-hmm. that it just throws you off half the time. Mm-hmm. But even then, I'm still really enjoying it. And I already know for a fact that they are finally doing the remake. They are finally getting it together. Danny Strong is on to write. <gasps> yes. Bill Condon, who's done a bunch of movie musicals, is on to direct. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have anything past that, but they finally, finally are in development for this remake. And it's well overdue because it's such a good musical. I'm ready. I'm here so, for I it. I mean, it just, it just is. It's so good. And this time... I feel like they are going to get that casting right. They don't. We riot. It's just one of those weird Hollywood. Why the fuck did you do that decisions that mm-hmm. knocks it down for me? But even then, I'm. it's still so enjoyable and fun to watch. It just is. So three and a half for me. Three and a half dice. Okay. AJ, what about you? Okay, me a sec. <laughs> it's going to be a three out of, uh, yeah, three out of five. All right. J- just because I rolled a seven. <laughs> That's fair. Leave it to chance. I'm rounding down for Marlon Brando. <laughs> this is fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. I'm also going to go with the three and a half because this film makes me want to go see the stage musical. It does. And I, as I previously stated, I think that that's a wonderful aim of a movie musical, of a musical that already exists as a stage production. And the production value of this is just so good. It is being knocked down because of Marlon Brando. And Frank Sinatra, they're the weak links here. And yep. not because Frank's bad, but you can tell he's miserable. And Brando is in the wrong movie. He shouldn't have said yes to this because he's not the right guy for it. No. I mean, like, ego aside, you just mean like, I'm not the right person to do this movie. So bye. But thank you, Diana, for reminding me that Frank Sinatra is also in this movie. So go ahead and give it a four for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. That's good. <laughs> Four. All right. All right. That works. Well, AJ, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Of course. And if more people want to find you on the internet, how can they find you? I am on Twitter at AJ underscore Gennaros. That's G-A-N-A-R-O-S. I am on another podcast called Shattered Worlds RPG. Currently, I'm playing a uh, Zentridi magic user named Gail Sauber. She's very nerdy and cool and, well, well, I guess not cool because I very very much play her not cool, but she's very (laughs) nerdy and magical and fun. She's fun to be around. Okay. Also, if you check out the Connecticut Gay Men's Chorus YouTube page, I am on quite a few videos in there. If you want to check those out and maybe subscribe to the channel, you know, I'm I'm here, there, I'm everywhere. (laughs) All right. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us. And until next time, have a good movie. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you.
Then we have Sheldon Leonard of the Big Bang Theory. No. Nice no. try. Wow. No. You really did that, didn't you? It you did. really did. I did. I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's the end tag. God damn. Sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. I, I don't like you right now. Don't you dare apologize. <laughs> See, I just do it to make my guests, or rather just AJ happy. Yeah, no, AJ AJ's right. That's a very good joke. I just do I every- see you. I appreciate you. I admire your craft. <laughs> <laughs> my you, you had a grenade you pinned the you pulled the pin at the perfect time you knew exactly what you were gonna do with that name i'm proud of you actually oh, i saw it a minute ago and i was just like i can't not oh man I, i'm not even gonna pretend i came up with that in the moment all right i want i listen to the big bang theory to go to sleep every night <laughs> don't pin that on to a in the moment thing you thought of that and you should be proud of it Oh, I'm not proud, but I am not ashamed. There's a difference. I'm proud of you for you. Thank you, AJ. I feel It was loved. excellent. Thank you. 